Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Welcome to this conversation with Damien Belair. Damien describes himself as an evolutionary intimacy guide, and he's also the founder of Evolutionary Relating. Damien is a deep explorer of the power and possibilities for intimate relationships, and his focus is on finding what works to support people, as he says, to truly thrive in love and life. We explored relationships through some of the tools and systems that he regularly works with, including attachment styles, polarity, the nervous system, and one of my favorites, the gene keys. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to today's episode. I'm super delighted to be joined today by Damien Belair. Welcome, Damien. Hi, nice to be here. (laughs) Good morning. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. So I'd love to start with you sharing uh, to, to the people listening a bit about who you are and what you do in the world. Um, so lately I've been going by the title given to me by my partner of uh, pragmatic visionary. And we were just jamming out a little bit about Gene Keys and there's a Gene Key realism that I feel quite grounded in. And I'm, I'm fascinated. Somehow I seem to be fascinated with the underlying structure of how things work and particularly relationships has been my inspiration. So it's almost like I bring a almost like an engineering lens. I'm not an engineer, but the way that I look at relationships, you could say is similar to how an engineer might look at the world. I'm I'm interested in how they're constructed and one of the fundamental laws and mechanics of how they work that are unarguable and kind of across the board pretty much exist inside of all relationships. So how do relationships work is kind of what I'm most faceted in currently. Um, I have a much broader interest, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. And so what I do in the world currently is, is present and teach on, on my findings around how relationships work. And I look at that through the lens of attachment theory, polarity, authentic relating, transpersonal work, the gene keys, human design. Um, so how do all of these things help us understand relationship and how do we have a relationship that feels really good that is going to have us evolve that is going to have us thrive that is going to basically be what we know is possible you know i believe most of us have this sense in our heart of like something quite magical is possible how do we get there well that's what i'm interested in finding out and mapping the way Mm, beautiful and how was it that you came to choose relationships as your inspiration well like I said, I think my, my interest is more diverse than that. Um, but relationships has been a key feature, romantic relationships, and probably because I sucked at them. And my very early childhood experiences were of rejection 
um, ridicule, shame. Uh, it took a long time for me to start dating. I was a late, late bloomer there, um, struggled in relationships. I tended towards, once I finally found myself in relationships, I found that I, I, I didn't have the language until in my 30s of anxious attachment, but I found myself to be highly anxious in relationships, um, which had me really struggle in relationships kind of like, were this confusing thing that just seemed to just drive me insane and were really hard. And I, at some point in my, in my life, I don't know when it was, I don't actually know when it was, but I know when I became conscious of the thought. So I think there's a few things that have been running as themes through my life, but there's a point where I became conscious of the desire to awaken or evolve in relationship rather than on my own. I was, I'm, I was raised by Buddhist parents and they're very dead. My father is like absolutely dedicated to an awakening path, you know, an enlightenment path. And I, you know, grew up watching him. And I think at some point I decided that looks lonely. I don't want to do it on my own. I want to do it with somebody. So there was always this thread of relationship as holding a potential for something much greater than just sex and romance and personal fulfillment and family and, yeah, so all of that's lovely, but there was always something more. And I think that's that's what's driven me. I've just become fascinated by it. And yeah. Mm, wow, fantastic. And you say you've got some broader interests as well. I'd love to hear a bit a little bit about that before we dive into relationships. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um, you know, I'm fascinated by evolution generally, and evolution meaning like evolution of consciousness, how the human species is evolving. And again, realistically, pragmatically, what does that look like? Um, you know, and where do we need to go? And my university background, my undergraduate background was in environmental biology, in ecology. And I remember studying and starting to become aware of just kind of the mess the world's in right now. And something in me got touched really deeply. And I was like, we need to do something else. And I traveled when I was young to... Uh, the mountains in the Pyrenees of France. And then I spent time in Thailand and like way out in the nature in Thailand. And I just had this sense of like, there is some other way of living, of of having what we have, but much closer to nature and much closer to each other. So I'm also fascinated by how we work with the land. I was a permaculture teacher for a while. And I'm also fascinated by community. How do we form community that is a term that I call organismic, meaning that this is the evolutionary potential of our species, I think, where we actually start to function as a collective that's composed of highly individuated beings. So we both get to express our unique self and all our unique gifts, but we're functioning as a, as, as a unit, as a whole. And I recognize that I am in service of the greater whole and the greater whole takes care of me. And that's what I'm, how do we create that on the planet? So my longer term vision is actually to create a university of knowledge and not just taught by me, eventually bring in other teachers as kind of the trajectory that I'm on um, so that we can do that, so we can create those places for our children, our children's children, and we can have an alternative narrative and potential for our species rather than the highly technological AI virtual reality pathway that we seem to be going down right now. It's like how do we actually branch and 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 have something else? And I believe many, many people are aching for that. And so coming back to relationships, I feel what what's caught me into relationships, I think it's a very high leverage point, meaning that relationships take so much time and energy when they're dysfunctional that you can't do anything else. 
right? But when they become functional and healthy, that energy is actually liberated. They become generative. They actually create more energy. And so if we get into healthy, functional evolutionary relationships, those, those couples can become pillars of community, pillars of creating more. So um, it's kind of weaving it all together there. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And I, I remember reading on one of your posts about you talk about the seeds of immense power within relationships yeah. Um, and how that can be harnessed to evolve the planet. And, and I, I really totally, I totally feel that as well. So, so you talked about sort of the energy that um, relationships can take when they're not working. And, you know, similar story to you, years of very dysfunctional and unhealthy relationships until I was on a mission to crack that code and find mm -hmm. what was possible in relationships. So I'd love to see you speak, hear you speak about what are some of the common dysfunctions or dynamics that you see in relationships today yeah i mean the the there's there's a couple of big ones and then they all kind of interrelate one is you know in in attachment the the dynamic between the anxious and avoidant attachment mm -hmm. the anxious being someone who is largely unable to regulate their own emotional state which is where i was at who tends to abandon themselves for the sake of being in relationship tends to uh become quite chaotic and out of control and throw adult tantrums when their needs aren't being met. And, and it actually tends, tends to take up a lot of space, you know, become is actually quite self-absorbed. And then we've got the avoidant on the other side, which, which tends to be the opposite, tends to feel very uncomfortable to commit, tries to keep relationship at a little bit of a distance, um, runs away when too much intimacy occurs, usually is crippled by a lot of shame. You you wouldn't know it. Avoidance of these charismatic, mysterious beings, but they usually have deep shame underneath all of that veneer um, that thinks that they're never going to be enough. So they don't let people get close to them. Um, mm. And so you have this dance between these these two types and, and they, they play out in severity. You know, it's like you have just anxious and avoidant, you know, regular conflict cycles but once you start adding more intensity to it you know and intensity is an interesting thing because you can have positive intensity but usually in this form it's negative intensity you add more intensity and you start having basically uh, a codependent and narcissistic style relationship and it's often the other way around than people think people often think the avoidant is the narcissist but they're actually the codependent the avoidant is often the one that sacrifices themselves to deal with the other one. And the anxious is all about like they're really hysterical, having lots of needs, which is actually narcissistic behavior. It's more vulnerable narcissistic. So you can go all the way down into that spectrum or, you know, it, it's a love addiction or a sex addiction type cycle. And so it's very volatile. It's fraught with lots of fighting, lots of conflict, fucking fight, make up, break up, make up, break up, you know, that kind of... And it's, it wears you ragged, right? So that's, that's really one of the major dysfunctions that, that are happening. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a result of really wrong parenting advice from our parents' generation, you know, from a couple of generations of let the kid cry it out. You know, that's one of the worst parenting advices that has been out there because it's just created insecure nervous systems that, that, that haven't been, had their needs met. So um that's and an attachment wounding is essentially a failure to bond meaning that we don't know how to bond properly we're supposed to bond you know you're supposed to bond with a partner we're supposed to create a unit that that is able to function both dependently and independently 
which is which is what creates independence interdependence sorry um so that's one of the major th things that play out and then the other that i become more fascinated is is the general shadow frequencies that run through um the world and we were just discussing the gene keys a little bit before like i mentioned and those shadow frequencies run right through relationship as well and so they play out as patterns inside of relationship um and then the third feature which is i've started presenting more stuff on polarity lately and so polarity is can can also create dysfunctional dynamics when polarity is inversed when people who have a more feminine nature end up playing the masculine pole in relationship and vice versa it becomes really uncomfortable it's like it doesn't actually allow energy to flow properly energy being love energy romantic energy sexual energy creative energy um you know, or they're neutralized polarity, which means there's no flow. Um, so those are kind of like the main features. And then also just communication breakdowns, just absolute communication breakdowns. Yeah. Mm, yeah, lots there. So when you talk about um, <laughs> polarity, what do you yeah. mean by polarity? Because it's a big topic at the moment. And um, yeah. Yeah. So, so polarity is an interesting topic and it's really like, David Data is one of the kind of granddaddies of polarity. I think he's heading into granddaddy territory now um, in terms of his relationship to this topic. Um, what I think of as polarity, I, like the frame that I take on polarity is that polarity is an actually, it's a functional dynamic of the universe. Again, this pragmatic sense, meaning that polarity is just inherent in a dualistic universe. It's, it's, two, it's two sides it's two opposite ends of a spectrum that play in relationship to each other that creates everything in the middle. So we have hot and cold, but we only have hot in relationship to cold and we only have cold in relationship to hot. Without cold, there is no hot. Without hot, there is no cold, right? It, up and down, you know, in and out. These are polarities. And so we have masculine and feminine as, as a polarity, which is masculine and feminine are essentially sets of qualities or characteristics and they play in functional opposition to one another. And there's a spectrum, meaning that they're not, not dogmatic. A lot of people out there are presenting polarities as very dogmatic, rigid. The man leads, the woman follows. I'm like, it's not so simple. There are actually many polarity sets and they can be created in a unique way between each other. You know, there are ways in which, you know, different parts of a relationship may be led by a different person, you know, and, and played out in different ways. So, so polarity are these, opposite opposite functional opposites that have a reciprocal relationship with each other and as a result they create a flow of energy right and so different functional polarities create different flows of energy one being um you know there is presence and openness creates an erotic an erotic arc when a man becomes really or a masculine being becomes really present with some with a feminine being the feminine being kind of opens an ecstatic current will start moving through her body you know, she will start getting turned on if it's someone that she has that kind of relationship with. And so they basically are ways of playing in relationship to each other to allow energy to flow inside of the relationship, which mm. creates aliveness. You know? Yeah. 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 Okay. And so, and so when you talk about spectrums of polarity and then polarity sets, I'd love you to speak more about that and give some examples because I think we have such a very... Uh, simplistic look at polarity and I'd love to sort of get more to the juice of it. 
Yeah, this is this is something I've been I've been starting to present workshops on these individual workshops. And so the first one I spoke about presence and openness. There's another one um, that I'm just about to do workshop and will have been passed by the time this airs on purity and capacity. And this is a it's a communication set. Purity is the the fem it's a it's a function of the feminine and it's her ability to express without distortion, essentially to be in the raw, vulnerable experience of you know expression of her experience without the, the mental distortions and when she does that when when the feminine leads from i feel this whatever it is and without stuff in front of it without criticism and opinion and judgment and meaning making and stories about the person she's with and i say she it's feminine meaning that it could i could also be expressing this way mm-hmm. but i use she and he as as kind of representations of the energy um when she expresses free of that distortion and the masculine on the other side has capacity, is able to receive it without adding his own mental meaning making to her feelings. She's expressing grief and the masculine is hearing grief, not hearing, oh, she's sad at me or there's something I need to do. He's just hearing the feminine is in grief. Capacity is the ability for him to essentially receive it. Actually, we say that masculine, the feminine receives and the masculine <laughs> penetrates. Well, depending on what polarity set we're looking at, in this polarity set, the feminine actually, the masculine actually receives feminine expression. So he's able to receive and create a holding or a container, the banks of the river, they sometimes call it. Then her emotions, her expression, her feelings flow and they flow in a transitory manner. The feminine is constantly transitory and he receives it in a kind of stabilized manner and it actually creates a really beautiful arc that can feel like love and it can also feel like arousal too can flow through this polarity set so that's one um another one that i want to talk about a little bit later and i won't go into it too much here but it's like um this is a very interesting one this is often a hot topic as well is it's provision and support so right masculine provision who pays when we go out on a date who should pay the bill right the masculine should pay the bill right he's supposed to be the provider role well yes when it's in a functional reciprocal relationship with its opposite which is support right and so traditionally we see this traditionally the masculine goes out and he makes all the money and he brings it home and the feminine takes care of the house, takes care of the kids, greets him, has done his washing, has cleaned the house and has made him dinner. That's support. She's supporting his ability to go and provide, right? It's a, it's a relationship, right? If, if, he, if he provides, if he pays for everything and she doesn't actually support, we end up actually in a dysfunctional dynamic. And we see this in movies, Wolf of Wall Street, Casino, Scarface. These are some great movies that show this dysfunctional dynamic where the masculine's doing all the providing, making loads of money. She's doing nothing, simply receiving, and it turns to a mess. And she ends up cheating on him and it just it becomes really horrible because he owns her now. If there's no functional reciprocation, he feels entitled to own her and she feels entitled to receive everything from him. It's not healthy. But when it is healthy, in a more modern setting, you know, with my partner, for example, I am stepping into more provision. It's an exploration that we have. There's a, there's a way that I can now. And the more that I do that, she feels naturally overwhelmed to support. She shows up and she does some of my social media graphics and she talks with me about my ideas and she, her energy is going into what I'm doing, which is that actually expands my capacity to do more of it, which means that I'm able to provide more. And so there's this beautiful relationship between the masculine and feminine there. That's polarity, right? 
Hmm. So that's that's a couple of them. Yeah. Beautiful. And so and so just to be clear, because people are so this is such a hot topic at the moment. We're not such a hot topic gender here we're talking about these these energies within the relationship and so for people listening because you know it's a real uh, people for especially in more longer term relationships we have this that the 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 relationship how it turns into more friendship and all of these things and we have these poles of the passion versus the friendship these 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 dynamics within relationships so how do people cultivate polarity in a healthy way i'd love to hear your wisdom for people listening. yeah yeah i think i think that like relationships really need to be a balance between similarity and difference similarity is where we develop friendship from you know similarity is where we have the same taste in music and we like going to do the same things and we love talking about stuff together right and we we've, we have similar interests and the more similarity you have the more you fall towards the friendship side of things right and difference is we're different you know, and the more difference you have, the more electrochemical spark you have, right? What people think of as chemistry is actually difference, right? We're attracted to the opposite generally, you know, even when you go into, um, we start looking at different forms of non-heterosexual relating, there's usually difference, right? There's a butch and a femme, there's a top and a bottom, right? There's a, there's a difference that plays out, that's polarity, right? So similarity is our connection, our and, and we want to have both. Mm. If you have only the chemical one, it's hot. You know, it'll be super hot dating someone who's very different from you, but it burns out fast. If you're too too similar, it's not hot, but you can talk forever. You know, you can sit down, you can talk forever. So, how do we create that? Is is we start actively working on these functional polarities. We bring consciousness to them. So, we set up dynamics. When when I set up the dynamic in my relationship, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to step into more provision, it brought more energy into our relationship because suddenly there's a there's an arc happening between us. When my partner really expresses more of her vulnerability, and I meet her with presence it creates an arc or if I meet her with deep presence, you know, and I sit there and I'd be really present to her, she, her body opens, creates an arc, right? You know, when, when I challenge her and she appreciates me, which is another one of the polarities, really, this one really messes people up. The masculine grows through appreciation and the feminine grows through challenge, right? Mm-hmm. You often think them from the other pole, men can challenge each other into growth, but a woman challenging a man, well, that's not exactly true. She can challenge him, but not through criticism. She can challenge him in other ways. Um, so it's not fully true, but appreciation really helps there. Um, so these are kind of the, the things that we want to do. So we cultivate polarity consciously, mm. you know, if we want, if we don't want to go to sleep, you know, to be conscious is to be awake, right? You know, when we go to sleep at night, we close our eyes and we go unconscious. If we don't want to go to sleep in our relationship, we have to be conscious of what we're doing, you know, and, and, and until it becomes innate, until it becomes unconscious competence, until it becomes something that we're just so natural at that we don't have to think about, but we have to, we have to cultivate that. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm wanting to be the masculine pole in a relationship, I develop my masculinity, right? How do I do that? I meditate. I still my mind more. I become more present. I lift heavy stuff. You know, I lift weights. I focus on building more testosterone in my body, right? It creates more masculinity in me. 
You know, if I want to play the feminine pole, I focus on creating more femininity. I dance, I move, I flow, I focus on my feelings, right? And then we we play them out with each other. Mm, beautiful. And so, where do you you, you spoke about uh, attachment and um, within this uh, just before and. I am imagining that there's, you know, people listening who are very familiar to some of those dynamics that you were talking about. So Mm -hmm. uh, what wisdom would you share for people listening about how they can consciously work with those places, whether it's the anxious, whether it's the avoidant, love to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And just to tie attachment briefly into polarity, attachment is a polarity. Anxious and avoidant is a polarity set, which is yeah. why it feels so intense. There's, a, there's an arc between them. There's an electrochemical spark that happens between the anxious and avoidance, which at the beginning feels amazing, right? feels wonderful until the anxiousness and the avoidance starts overtaking and we end up in a fat, infatuation and pain and, and suffering. Um, we need to start moving towards what something is called secure. And that's where polarity becomes important because as we move to secure, we're no longer going to run on the same energetic fuel to create eros and love, right? When we're in, a, when we're in an anxious and avoidant dynamic, the energy that fuels our love and our eros, which is our sexual current, is uh, intensity, infatuation, potential loss, basically. We're running on the energy of, of I might be abandoned at any given moment. Both the anxious and the avoidant are running on abandonment wounds, both of them, right? The avoidant just deals with their abandonment wounds by abandoning first. If there's any sign that they may be abandoned, the avoidance out well before you get a chance to dump them. They're never the, they're never the dumpy, they're the dumper, <laughs> right? Um, and the anxious is running on the fear of abandonment as well. Um, and so it's like, it's a, it's a relationship built on unavailability and fear and scarcity and lack and fantasy. So we need to start stripping that away. We need to start stripping away the fantasy. We need to start stripping away the volatility, the intensity, and actually learn to regulate our nervous system, learn to develop our boundaries and learn to actually do the opposite of what we normally do. So if I'm, if I'm an anxious partner, I actually need to learn to focus on something other than my partner. You know, if, if I'm an anxious partner, if I'm an anxious person and I start dating someone new, I need to learn to not put all my eggs in one basket, to not put all my attention on that one person. I need to make sure I have friends, friendships and hobbies that are outside of the relationship, that I can do my own thing, that I'm independent from this person. And I have to really act. And it's terrifying to an anxious person. The anxious person is the kind of person that, um, they they don't make any plans on the weekend just in case their avoidant partner will call them and want them want a booty call and they'll abandon everything. They'll say, "Hey, you want to come over?" And they're hanging with a friend. Like absolutely, they drop everything and rush over to that person's house just for a little scrap of love and affection. Right? We, we we need to make sure that we're not in that position and that we have our life. The avoidant part person on the other side needs to learn to open and lean in and stay in. And this is actually really challenging. This is even more challenging. I have compassion for people who are on the avoidance spectrum because in some ways it's a harder journey because there's a lot of shame that has to be confronted and 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 it feels 
safe and powerful to be behind the walls that the avoidant is. They're kind of behind the wall, untouchable, in control, right? But also it hurts. You know, I've been in a relationship with someone more anxious than me, so I played the avoidant pole and it hurts. It feels like I'm living my life with my heart closed and I'm not letting anyone in. So they actually have to learn to soften, be vulnerable, share themselves, take a risk, show up, lean into commitment, not have other options, close the door behind them so there's not one foot out, right? Terrifying, terrifying. You know, I, any avoidance right now, I'm like hearing you cringe, you know, at the idea of doing that. You, <laughs> yeah. Right? You feel like, no, that's probably thing right then, yeah? There's a cringing idea like, oh, God, shutting the door, that's like terrifying, right? And, that's, and that closing the container for the avoidance starts deconstructing the walls around the heart. It will start cracking things and it's not pretty you know it's it hurts right it just does right and and as that starts cracking warmth start will start to seep out you know warmth the warmth of love starts seeping out and then there's the ability to go okay you know obviously you need to choose a correct partner the avoidant problem is like they're never the right correct partner there's something wrong with everyone right but i have to learn to take a leap and and just decide to actually melt those walls um, through time. So that's, that's in a nutshell, you know, obviously there's lots of practices and lots of time and we have to literally repattern our entire nervous system. It's like, we have to restructure the way our brain and nervous system functions in order to become more secure. So it's not a, it's not an easy process. It's like, it's like a two to five year journey, you know, mm. you know. but it's possible. And I think that's what's absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say like, you know, I was really anxious in my life, really, really anxious, like the, the kind of anxious where I thought that I would never not be so anxious. There was a period of time in prior relationships. I remember when my anxiety really kicked in, I would go into literal panic attacks when my girlfriend left the room, like she would go into the kitchen to cook and I would start feeling panic and I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I, I, I seized, I couldn't function in life. And when we broke up, it took me two years to recover. Like it was horrible, um, but I've done a lot of work and my partner was the other side, more on the avoidance side. And we've come together and we've been, we've been in this crucible of, of work together for coming up on two years and, and we've been actively working on it. And I would say that the challenges that we find now in our relationship are not anxious. We, we don't feel the anxious avoidant patterning playing out anymore. It's not here. We're encountering deeper shadows. We're encountering the shadow matrix that Jinky talks about, which is a whole different game, right? Mm -hmm. But the anxious avoidance is like, I don't really feel anxious the way I used to. And she's like, I don't feel avoidant the way that I used to. So it's absolutely possible to end that. Yeah. We're the same. My partner was anxious, me avoidant. And yep. um, my life's work, Jinky, is 29. So the oh, shadow yep. of, of, of not committing. <laughs> and and that was a yep. game changer yep. in our relationship where I just went, actually, Richard Rudd says, if you're 99% committed, you're not committed. Yeah. <laughs> and when I said 100%, something deeply shifted. Um, yes. Deeply, deeply shifted in a way that I was just like, wow. So, so yeah. <laughs> so, Moving into commitment and devotion. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I'd love to hear you talk about the, 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 the shadow frequencies and patterns that you see playing out in relationships as well. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's where it gets really fascinating. That's kind of like, that's where, you know, you, for those who are a little bit more on the geek side of things and love to like 
dive deep into consciousness and spirituality and personal development and kind of like kind of can't get enough of it. Um, this is where things like the gene keys become very interesting because the gene keys is for anyone who's listening, who doesn't yeah. know, it's a, it's a, it's a system that's based off human design, which is based off of the I Ching meets astrology meets the chakra system. Right. And so the, the jinky is essentially the I Ching, which is a Chinese divination system of 64 different hexagrams that represent 64 different phases or aspects of life um, overlaid onto our astrology. So it's unique. So our birth time and date and um, gives us a map of our personal disposition and whether I, my, my feeling is that actually we have all of it. But the, the map that we're giving, given through this birth imprint is an incredible starting point. Because it's like if you've got everything and you've got to work through everything, where do you start? You know, when I was talking about permaculture before, you get a big open paddock of land. The first thing you have to do is create a line somewhere so you know where to start. Otherwise, what do you do? Where does the design come from? Mm. So we have to start somewhere. And this is a great starting point that gives us a unique, a unique blueprint of our own shadow our own shadow patterns, right? And then um, the Gene Keys has different sequences. The Venus sequence in particular is a, is a relational dynamic. And so when you look at that and I look at that and my partner looks at hers and we look at how they play out with each other and then especially if we understand it overlaid on, and this is where I get real geeky, right? We understand <laughs> it overlaid onto the human design map and the electromagnetic channels that we share, meaning we're looking at our composite maps Similar like people do in astrology, you can do this with astrology as well. I just happen to like the gene keys. You can start seeing where are our major sticking points personally and in our relationship. And then we can start working on them. And uh, in, for example, in gene keys, the EQ, um, the emotional quotient in the Venus sequence, it's, it's um, the, the position is our Mars, our conscious Mars, meaning our Mars at the time of our birth, position of Mars. Um, it's, seems to represent our emotional, our patterning, our shadow patterning and our gift and our city, our enlightenment aspects of what happens when we're triggered enough into our emotional body. The shadow plays out is like, if I'm so triggered that it hits my emotional body, this is the pattern that plays out for me. It's dominance. And I move into a kind of vocal dominance suppression kind of pattern which really bumps up against and we're always beautiful reciprocals for each other bumps up against my partner who has the jinky four which is intolerance the shadow of intolerance which totally spirals me out like when i get it like sends me mad right her intolerance right so we have i have dominance which is like kind of more of a mental play and trying to change the nature of her mind, which freaks her the hell out. And she has intolerance, which is like energetic force coming right at me, which smashes me about. We understand, we spent a long time looking at this key and we understand these dynamics so we can deconstruct them and move into the gift. Her gift is understanding. When she meets me with understanding, oh my God, it's like a balm to my soul. And mine is synergy. I bring us and I weave us into a shared experience and I, and I have that gift. And so when we get into conflict that triggers our emotional, if we can move into those gifts and out of it, we know what our shadow pattern, we know we're going to end up there. 
you know, mm. we've mapped it. It happens consistently, those patterns, so we can move out of them. Um, so that's one example of, of these, you know, and, and then we're going to have our entire design, you know, our gene key sequences, our bigger human design is going to give us a map of our own personal shadow matrix. What is my unique shadow architecture? Meaning that, and, and, and these shadows are collective matrices that it's part of the field of humanity, these shadows. And it's almost like if I've got my unique shadow tapped in, I pull on the whole collective field. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like enacting global collective patterns of a particular shadow band. It's yeah. <laughs> Might've gone too far there. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's beautiful. And I, and I, and I love that example of how the dominance and intolerance can play out and then how that can move into understanding and synergy. And I think mm. what's so wonderful about the gene keys as a framework is it's just, it, it depersonalizes sometimes these patterns, Absolutely. which can seem so um, uncontrollable to go, ah, oh, yeah, that's what I do. Oh yeah. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so in, 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 in kind of my model or framework of, of evolutionary intimacy and we're kind of moving through them right now it's like i have four major uh, areas that i think of in terms of how do we navigate a relationship towards something that's going to evolve for us we have attachment we're going to have to deal with our attachment and learn how to bond effectively no matter what we have polarity we're going to have to learn how to play out these functional opposites so we can generate energy between us and then we have this quadrant where we started talking about the gene keys and shadows I call it the transpersonal. And that's what you said, it depersonalizes it. It actually moves us into a transpersonal perspective. I can look at my dominance as a, a frequency versus me, which means I'm transpersonal to it. It's no longer a personal thing. It's something that's just playing out through me. And when we can do that together in a relationship, oh, wow, we, we, we're able to take a witness or a meta perspective on our own relationship and it no longer affects us in the same way. And as a result, in order to do that, you have to grow bigger than it, which means we're actually actively evolving there too. Mm, amazing. And, and so you talked about sort of um, the, the power of generative relationship and the potential mm. that is in relationship. Can you say more about this? What do you feel is the, the, the purpose of the, as we evolve in relationship, what's possible? Because I think, there's so little in the collective around that at the moment. So I'd love to hear what you see. Yeah, that's, that's such a great question. Um, the, the, the first answer that comes to me is like, I don't know. I want to find out, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's my, my, my most truth and truthful yeah. answer. And everything else is speculation. I have some degree of experience. I have enough pointers to form really good hypotheses you know again here's my pragmatic engineer scientist working um i like to form hypotheses and then enact experiments or practices through my own life to see if i can make if i can affirm those hypotheses or not and then as i make progress then i like to turn around and and teach others what i've learned and see if it works for them and if it does and people show up and they get results it's like okay this is a valid hypothesis this is a pathway so we can follow this um but what becomes possible, you know, I think that, I think that there's a, there's a number of things. One is we're just going to have more energy to at the lowest level, the lowest rung, we start liberating literally, literally more energy to just be more abundant in life. Mm 
you know the 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 more that my partner and I clear up our shadow dynamics, the more that we come into a synergy together, the more that we work together, the more abundant we become. The easier it is to do life. You know, it's not to say it's without challenging, but I've I've never been in a position in my life before as I am now, ever. You know, um, and it feels like it's only getting better. Um, so that and that energy is coming from the relationship. You know, I I know that I wouldn't be where I am without my partner. I I wouldn't be. Um, the next kind of possible rung up is I think that I touched a little bit. I don't, I can't remember where I said organismic consciousness in the recording or not. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. So organismic consciousness is, is, a, is what I believe is when we actually start functioning as an organism that's greater than ourselves. So I think that relationships are the first kind of step towards that where my partner and I or a relationship becomes, it already is. When we're in a relationship, we have a third. There's a third being. One plus one equals three when it comes to relationships. There's, a, there's, there's me, there's her, and there's us. And that us is a third. And I believe that us can become more and more conscious. And when that us awakens in consciousness, we are part, I become then part of a greater organism that is us. And that us starts to have some set of qualities and potentials that are not available to the individual. I don't know what they are, but I can feel a tone of it, you know. Um, so that's a potential of where we might be heading, you know. And there's a fine line there because it's like, enmeshment is right there enmeshment and codependence is like right on the other side of that so we're walking this fine line of like how do we actually do that consciously in interdependence which means that we retain we retain our individual sovereignty at the same time as sacrificing to be part of a greater whole and i love the word sacrifice it's one of the jinkies the city of jinky 19 sacrifice is to me is to become part of a greater whole right it's to, it's to allow myself to be part of something bigger than myself um uh so that's that's another potential and then i think like i said i think that the the evolving couple becomes a pillar of community it becomes family you know we i i make up that there is a collective yearning in the kind of fields that i imagine your listeners are that we swim in there is a collective yearning for tribe that there is a recognition that tribe is the way we need to live. We need to find our tribe and live in tribe. And we don't know how to do that yet. And I really believe that the couples become pillars for that. When you have a functional couple, you have a pillar of stability. You have an anchor and it creates a family and a family is an anchor, you know, and you have a number of them. You get three healthy couples, families together, three or four, you have a community. Mm. You know, that's a community right? Extend that a little bit more, you have a tribe, right? Um, and beyond that, I don't know, you know, what kind of awakenings are available in, in a couple, what kind of conscious explorations, what kind of depths of ecstasy that can be experienced? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to find out, you know, I'm, I'm on that journey to find out. Yeah, yeah and a great journey to be on. <laughs> totally. totally. Absolutely. And and so you've just touched on something else I really wanted to uh, ask you about when you said the depths of ecstasy. Um, mm. So one of the things that you talk about is, I've, I've been reading on your post, is parasympathetic arousal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just think that's such a fabulous and fascinating phrase. 
Um, yeah. So I would love you to speak about what that is. And I guess also that links to something else that you I, I've noticed you write a lot about is, is, is that sort of creating safety in relationship and what happens when we orientate to safety. So, yeah, I'd love yeah. to hear your take on all of that. Absolutely. Like like I shared earlier, when we when we're running on um, dysfunction or chemistry or lust or fantasy fuel relationship, we're running on the energy of intensity, which means we need a lot of friction to to gain heat and heat is what we use to be sexual, right? To have sex. We need, you know, you look at pornography, it's a lot of high thrusting, intense friction. You look at movies, right? The, the, the protagonist, the, the main couple in a movie, their first kiss will turn into like th slamming against a wall and like ripping each other's clothes off into bed. It's a lot of friction. It's high intensity. Not, and I'm not saying that we can't have that, you know, that's what people, people get wrong. It's like, we can totally have highly passionate experiences, but it's the, it's the scarcity. It's the unavailability, the fantasy, the infatuation that causes volatility. It causes uh, a, a, a need for high intensity in order to get aroused. We need to like kiss really hot and hard and like stroke really hard and like move really quickly in order to get turned on enough to be sexual. Right. And, and it's almost like that fight and fuck cycle. It's, it's like we get too close. Our things are too close. Let's create a fight and then make up. And the makeup is the hottest sex of all. Right. If, if your makeup sex is hotter than your, we're feeling really good sex, you're running on the wrong kind of energy. You know, um, we're running, we're not running on something that's going to be long-term sustainable. We're burning up. Parasympathetic arousal is when we shift our fuel for arousal to safety and security. It's when my partner is available. She's actually open to me. She's feeling loving. She's feeling soft and receptive. Everything feels safe. And she opens her body. My, my body gets turned on instantly when she's open and available. When I become really present, I slow down enough to really be with her. She just gets aroused. Arousal is effortless from this place. There's not anything that we have to do, right? We lie together and our bodies are in contact and arousal is available for us, right? It just is. And, and arousal tends to happen in the places where we feel secure, we feel safe, we feel like this person is there for me, this person is available to me, this person loves me, this person cares about me. That's what turns me on. If I'm a turned on by, I'm not sure if this person loves me or not. I don't know if they even like me, but I, anytime they message me, I'm going to rush around to their house for a booty call. And it's like, I've got one foot out the door, but like, I'm lonely and a bit horny. Like, let's get her over. It's like, we're not running on clean energy. We're running on fuel that's dirty and it's going to burn us up. And when we, when we run, it's like, I love you. I'm here for you. You know, if I can, if I can walk into a room and say, I love you to my partner and I'm like here for you. And she's like, oh God, you know, she was like, gets so turned on by that. We're kind of in the right direction. And you know, what an amazing thing to be turned on, right? By like, I love you, you know, I'm I've got you, I'm here for you. You know, I want to support you. I care about you. And you go, oh, my body's aroused. So parasympathetic arousal is when our body relaxes. Parasympathetic nervous system states is when our body is in a relaxed state when we're sleeping, when we're, you know, and actually that what's, is what allows the greatest engorgement and flowing of energy through our body when we're in this relaxed state. So it's learning to cultivate the experience of relaxation and safety and security as the thing that turns us on. 
Wow, which is so different than what we experience, like you say, in everyday culture. Songs and TV shows, and it's all about the intensity. Yeah, Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So um, so I'm I'm feeling as well, we've talked about a lot about sort of uh, relationships and the potential of relationships. And I'm imagining people listening who are sort of dating and in that space of, 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 wanting a different quality of relationship, different type of relationship, what wisdom would you share for people listening? Um, the thing that I, I think is most valid or most important when dating, when approaching relationship, I'm going to, I'm going to give two bits. Um, the first is, is I, I call standards to learn what my standards are. And standards are very important. Standards are not expectations and they're not entitlement. A standard is a standard is something that I, I am able to embody first and then I take a stand for. So, for example, a standard is I have a standard around growing in my relationship. I value growth. Growth is important to me. I can't be with someone who isn't interested in growing. So it's a standard of mine, but I also embody growth. I'm not asking anyone to do something that I am not doing myself. I grow. If I was single, I would be focused on my growth and my practice and my meditation. And so that's a standard for my relationship. So if I go on a date with someone and they're not interested in growth, well, that's a standard for me. And so I don't, I don't engage that relationship. Oh, but they're really hot and they've got all these other things that I really like and they're really into me doesn't matter. If I break my standards, I'm going to be in pain later. I'm going to be down the line with someone who isn't aligned with what actually I value the most. So to understand the standards, I value, I'm, I'm more of a monogamous person. I'm not interested in poly relationships. I know there was a time that I entertained it, but I'd say I'm more monogamous. That's a standard for me. I want to have children. That's a standard for me. I am actively moving towards having children. So if I'm dating a partner who's not interested in having kids, no matter how much the rest of our, the thing looks good, it's not going to work for me. And I said that with, with my current partner when we were early on in dating. I said, I, she already has a child. She has a seven-year-old son. Um, I said, I want to have kids. And she's like, I'm not sure if I want to have another child. And I said, okay, that's okay. Feel into it. You know, like let's keep seeing each other. But if you come to a, a strong decision, I want you to like take it in. And if you come to a strong decision inside of you that you're a certain no, that you're not having kids, you have to let me know because I'll have to make a choice around that. You know, we kept dating each other and she actually found that she wanted to have kids and now she's really excited for it, right? But she needed that time to understand it for herself. And I was clear that that's something that I want and I'm not going to engage a relationship that doesn't have that. So if you want a, if you want a relationship that's going to evolve, that's a standard. I have to be practicing evolution in my own life. I have to be practicing my own spirituality. And then I'm not interested in any relationship that's not going to meet me there. That's if I care about it. Mm-hmm. I might not. Some people are like, I'm, I actually like to do spirituality on my own. And I don't want to share that with a partner. That's great. You know, that's not a standard for you, right? If you want kids, if you want a poly relationship, if you want a monogamous relationship, don't say it's someone who's poly. No matter what they say, if they're interested in a poly relationship, even though they're going to close the container for you for a little bit, that's not a match. It's not a functional match. It's not going to work. It's like, sometimes I say love and sex is easy. It's really easy to fall in love with someone. It's really easy to get turned on and have erotic, erotic energy and have sex with someone. It's harder to work out the logistics of life. 
You know, are you on the same page and can you actually do life together and live together long term and raise a family and, you know, share businesses and, you know, have a mortgage together and all the other stuff. That's not that that's the hard part, right? So it's good to make sure that we front load an awareness of what that is. Um, so that's what I would suggest as something for people who are dating. And the second thing is Gene Keys reference. If you're interested in the Gene Keys, we talked about it briefly before. Look at the attractosphere and really understand the shadow of the attractosphere and the gift. And this is what changed my dating life completely. Um, the shadow, I, my, my attractosphere is Gene Keys 60. The shadow is limitation. I was always attracting relationships that were limited in scope to, compared to what I wanted. And there was a fantasy involved with limitation. When I shifted into realism and I got really clear around what it means to be real and not in fantasy about relationship, which is developing my standards and recognizing that, you know, the ideals that I had based on the conditioning from movies and pornography and magazines and wounds and trauma was not going to inform me making very good choices about partners. Um, my partner hates me talking about it, romance so dryly, but that was my savior when I got really pragmatic around what it's going to be to have a relationship that I dream of. The reality of it is what actually allowed me to find it, mm. which would, I never would have thought, you know, getting more pragmatic actually had me find a relationship that is meeting my dreams, my fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic and actually just to you know for anybody listening um if you want to find out more about the gene keys if you go to genekeys.com you can get a free profile which covers four of the the key parts of it um what what advice would you give for anyone because i'm sure there's going to be lots of people wanting to know what their attraction sphere is right now <laughs> um i think does it does it show it in the free profile i think it does no, it's it's, in the Venus it doesn't. Sequence. It's in the Venus sequence. So it's a course that you doesn't can show it to you, or, does it? Uh, no. no. You, or you can see it. Sorry, you can see the sphere you on can the see free it. It doesn't tell you, you about it. You can't get any information about it. But if you you'll if you look at your free profile on the map of spheres, you'll see a tractor sphere and then you can read uh, about that sphere you can download an audio about it there's lots of different you ways can buy it yeah. by standalone audio you can youtube about it you can google yeah. about it you can buy the book and read about it the gene keys is a very interesting thing because it's presented as a contemplation um meaning that you kind of just learn about it and then you reflect on it i i tend to be more active than that i don't just contemplate we actively work on it you know and we 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 practice it in you know and um my partner is actually developing practices for every one of the keys as well. Wow. So that's one of the things that she's working on. Um, so, but yeah, it's a, it's a great place to look at, you know, it's a great place to look at if you're interested, it's a rabbit hole, you know, you can journey the gene keys for a very long time. You know, if you embark on that journey, you're on a multi-year journey, but same with all of them, same with attachment, same with polarity, you know, same with relating it's um, all of it's a long journey. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I like that because we live in such a quick fix culture to actually yep. these things just to, to give them the time. And I think what I love about the, the, the word contemplation is a lot of people see the gene keys and feel it's quite a heady experience because they just see all of these words and pages and pages, but actually just to allow those to percolate through and to be with them and to contemplate yep. them. Because if you see it as heady, it misses the point of it. And um 
So, but I love that your partner is developing practices for each of the keys. I'm excited to to see that for mm-hmm. sure. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, so any final wisdom that you would love to share from our conversation that feels alive right now? Hmm. I think like the thing that comes up to me is that if what what I'm enjoying about this this conversation it actually just ended up being which is fun we ended up like covering most of my evolutionary intimacy map um which is fun and I got to talk about many different aspects of it um what I want to suggest is that you know, like we have so many platitudes about it, so many, you know, sayings about like, it's all about the journey, not the destination, right? You know, it's this like cliche statement. And the reason it's a cliche statement is because it's real, you know, it's actually true. And to recognize that, you know, I've talked about evolutionary intimacy, I've talked about relationship and the possibility of relationship is that it is something that takes time, takes energy, it takes effort, it takes making lots of mistakes, it takes pain, it takes blood, it takes sweat, it takes tears, you know, it takes grit. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the people who want who believe that you can snap your fingers and magic pill and get everything you want. It's like again, realism and pragmatism that 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 if you want to really experience the depths that are available to you if you want to evolve as far as you can to recognize that this is a this is a lifelong commitment you know relationship is a lifelong commitment it's a crucible if you decide to do that you know maybe not be lifelong with any one partner but it might um, but to recognize that it requires commitment it requires devotion it requires showing up it requires effort you know, and then we just like anything, just like anything in life, if you apply effort over time, you know, conscious, intentional effort over time, you get better. You apply effort, conscious, intentional effort over time for long enough, you become a master. Relationships are no different. You know, apply conscious, intentional effort over time, your relationship will get better. It will just get better and better and better. And over time, you might become a master of relationship. You know, what would that be like? Mm, Yeah, beautiful. And I think one of the biggest assumptions that people have around relationships is if it's not easy, there's something wrong. And actually what I see in my experiences is the best relationships I have have had that needed that sustained effort and me showing up and me looking at all the things that I bring um and it's like we have that disney princess fairy tale of like the bang bang relationships amazing and that's it but actually what me and my partner have found is it's been the work that we've put in that's just making it get better and better after i mean five years and it just gets better and better so yeah. Yeah. thank you for and, sharing you know that. and that the the disney princess movie and pretty much most Hollywood movies is like people fall into a relationship and it's like, whoa, everything's amazing. And the movie ends, but I'm like, (laughs) they didn't even finish the honeymoon phase yet. They're only showing you the honeymoon phase where yeah, everything is fun. There are a few movies out there that show relationships at 20 years on and they're like kind of in pain and they're struggling and they're about to break up. There has been a whole round of movies like that as well. Um, yeah, but there's this, there's almost this assumption that we're just going to fall into relationship and it's going to be easy forever. And it's like, it's just not the case. Anyone, 
anyone I know who has an incredible relationship worked on it. They just, they worked on it, you know, they worked on it together. You know, the challenging part of relationship is you can't do it on your own. You know, you can learn a musical instrument on your own. You can't learn to have a relationship <laughs> on your own. You can, you can learn most skills on your own unless they're team skills, but you need, you need someone else to have the relationship with and they're not going to, they're not going to conform to what you think they should. They're, they're independent beings who are going to move in their own way, even if you think that they should do the thing this way and it would all be good, they won't. They'll do the thing their way and you have to learn to navigate together in that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, the hardest part about relationship is that there's another person. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So... Thank you so much. So where can people find you online? I'll put um, your stuff you in can, the show notes, but just where are your yeah. best places? You can find me on evolutionaryrelating.org. Depending on the airtime of this, there may be, if you go to that website, there may be some wonderful thing that you can get for free by signing up to the email list. Um, hopefully by then there'll be something. The <laughs> website's currently an overhaul, but it should be done by then. Um, evolutionaryrelating.org. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Damien Boller, B-O-H-L-E-R, or on Instagram at Evo Relating. And those are the main places where I put stuff out right now. Website's great. If you go sign up to the email, then you get everything. You get in the loop of whatever's on and so forth. So um, planning to be expanding a lot over the next year or two and putting out a lot, a lot of resources. Mm, wonderful thank you so much and thank you for your just um passion and curiosity and um just yeah just submersing yourself in the possibility of relationships and and you know shining a light on that for the world so really appreciate it it's been a joy thank you thank you thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sarahrosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one -one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. Wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.